what, what do you do when your amazing kids aren't so amazing? What do you do with that? Today we're going to look at really, I think, the prototype of parenting. And you're in church, so this may not surprise you. You might expect me to say this, but if you didn't know, let me let you in on the secret. Our Heavenly Father sets the standard of what parenting is. In fact, because God chooses to be called a father, it invites us to look at the way he fathers his children as an example, as a light, as an illumination towards how we're supposed to parent. And in that kind of parenting that he does for us, as we investigate it through the scriptures, as we look at his heart for us, his character towards us, as we look at that in his heart does, we discover, I think, what really is for me the thing that keeps me from being a paralyzed parent, paralyzed by fear. I never will forget holding my daughter that first night and thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do? What do I do? And, and, and that's how it began for me. And Jill and I had three more children. And at some point along the way, I began to teach high school. And I had the unique experience. It was an incredible gift, but it scared me as well. That long before my kids were teenagers, I got to teach the teenagers of, others, uh, of other parents. Uh, 15 to 18-year-old, I taught freshmen. And then, and then juniors on an occasion, I, I taught seniors. And I got to see kids who had been parented. And I got to ask the question that I've asked many times. I wonder what that parent did. Because sometimes I wanted to do what they had done. And sometimes I would say, I wonder what that parent did because I did not want to do whatever they had done. And I know that kids aren't robots simply responding to what parents do. But I know this and you know this, that parents have a dramatic impact on their kids. And that's okay. That's actually good. And it doesn't have to just make us afraid. It can actually help us. What I want to do is look at the character and the heart of God towards his kids, us, and from that, draw a few principles that all parents can apply, especially those that want to do a good job and not be paralyzed by fear. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 as we talk about unamazing kids, all right? Ephesians chapter 6, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Ephesus. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul deals with all kinds of things involved in church life. He talks about very theological things, especially Ephesians chapter 2. That's a great passage to read. If you're a relatively young believer in Jesus, Ephesians 2, that's a freebie for today. First service didn't get it. Thank you for coming to the 11 o'clock, all right? But by the time you get to Ephesians chapter 6, he's in the middle of just life stuff, just life, like everyday life stuff. And Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he delves into some family stuff, all right? And this is a pretty impacting and powerful passage. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When I had children, and they didn't always obey me, this became a favorite passage of mine. It's always been a more favorite passage of mine than it's ever been for my kids. But nevertheless, there it is, all right? And then then he continues the thought. He says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life. And so I've often told my kids, if you'd like to cut your life short, no, I, I'm, I'm kidding. But anyway, I felt like saying that. I, I, maybe I have. Jill, have I ever said anything? I don't know. Um, here, here's, the, here's the last verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And there's a lot we could say about this passage. I, I want to focus on that last section, to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Because I believe that our Heavenly Father shows us 
really great parenting is all about. So I don't, I don't know your church background. I don't know where you're coming from. But, but think about for just a minute how our Heavenly Father engages us. And what was his heart towards us in engaging us? You know, at one point, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi. And he describes Jesus unrobing himself of dignity and royalty and stepping out of heaven and instead of royal robes, putting on human flesh and becoming one of us, condescending to be with us. That's the kind of love our Heavenly Father has for us, that he would send his one and only son because he desires a relationship with his kids. That's the heart of our Father. He wants a relationship with his kids. Uh, no, No matter what else is going on, this is the constant in the Bible. God wants a relationship with his kids. And when you read the Bible, the Bible is full of all kinds of unamazing families. That's encouraging to me. Now, I, I like that. I, I don't like to just read the stories of all the good guys. I feel like I come up short pretty often. So every once in a while, I like to turn on my TV and watch reality television. I just feel great about me when I'm doing that. And, or, or I like to open the pages of the Bible and read the, the stories of, uh, of the Bible families, you know. Sometimes people say, let's be a biblical family. And I, I go, that's good. Let's filter that a little bit, though, because most of the biblical families had some real problems, like real everyday life stuff happening. And their everyday life stuff looks a little bit different than our everyday life stuff because it was a long time ago. But at the core, the same basic struggles are there. There's kids who are rebellious. There's sibling rivalry and fighting and jealousy. And there's parents who don't make wise choices and their choices have spillover impact on their kids. And there's marriages that are in disarray. And it's like all everyday life stuff right there in our Bibles. And yet the consistent story through all of those family messy moments is this, that our heavenly father wants to have a relationship with his kids. Now that's not a bad place to begin when you think about what is the real goal of parenting anyway. I mean, what are you trying to get done? Hey, what are we shooting for? So the first thing I'd like to just point out to you is, is that the first real goal of parenting, if our Heavenly Father's example is setting anything for us, is that the goal of parenting has to be relationship. It, it can't be that you are a perfect parent. I, I hope you don't believe that the goal is that you're somehow a perfect parent. Because even if you were holding that up as a goal, who gets to define that? I, I, I don't know. Is it your kids? Because my kids would tell you I'm not a perfect parent. So I'm not listening to them. I don't know about you. You're going to listen to your kids. Right? Or is it some other set of parents? Because other parents have a pretty strong opinion about how you're parenting, right? Um, so is, is that, or, or is perfection not even the goal anyway? Is the goal of parenting to have a robust, vibrant, alive, and active relationship with your kids? Now, I know in this room there are people who aren't parents. And so let, let me just be clear that the, these principles that we're going to deduce from the character of God they relate to relationships in general. We're just applying them to the parenting relationship. But aunts and uncles, this, reply, this applies to you. Grandma, grandpa, this applies to you. In fact, you can actually, as a part of the broader family, have direct impact on your kids as you live out some of the things we're going to talk about. And in our church, the Bible uses the metaphor of the church as one big family. In, in some, some regards, some of the things we're trying to do over here in preschool and all the way over there in middle school at the other end of the building is we're just trying to demonstrate to the kids that you've entrusted us with as a church, we're just trying to demonstrate the heart of God for them. We, we, we want the kind of intangible idea that God loves them to become very real to kids as we love them. We want the character of God and God's heart for kids to become very real to kids as we 
call out in them character and demonstrate God's heart for them. And so in some regards, all of church, this relates to that, all right? So Jill and I have four children and we haven't always gotten it right. So one of the smartest things I've ever done is when I have felt stuck or afraid is I've found people who did it well. So I referenced that I used to teach high school. So on occasion, it wasn't unusual for me to say to a kid, hey, tell me about your relationship with your parents. It was just kind of a common question I would have, especially if I saw a kid that I thought, man, now that kid, I've never met a perfect kid, but that kid's kind of got it going on. There was a certain maybe emotional intelligence or just a a way they interacted with their friends or maybe something they said that caught my attention. I often wanted to know what was going on. And so I had the privilege of getting to know these kids since I served as both a teacher and a chaplain beyond just the classroom. But I got to know a lot of their parents. And it, was, it hasn't been unusual for me to sit down with parents who've done a very good job and say to them, tell me what you did. Tell me what you didn't do. So, so what I have for us over the next few minutes is a list of some do's and don'ts. These are suggestions. I'm certainly not an expert. I I didn't dream this up on my own, though. I sat with people who had engaged their kids in such a way that it was having a positive impact. I've heard some consistent things, and then I have my own children that are in their teen years, and and my daughter's in her 20s, and so I'm drawing from that. I've looked at the pages of Scripture, and I've had the opportunity to sit across a desk from a lot of folks in this congregation as we've talked very honestly about unamazing families and unamazing parenting, and some things begin to get clear. But most of all, when you look at the character and the heart of God towards his kids, some things begin to get very clear. So here are some do's and some don'ts with parenting that I want to suggest for you to think about, all right? So here's the first one. Number one, do. Rally around the heart of God for your kids, which requires you to think about what is God's heart for your kids. I've explored it just a little bit with you, but but think about this. How does God live out his desire to have a relationship with you when you are unamazing? When you blow it, when when you sin, if you don't... That's a word we use in churches. I know some churches don't, but we we kind of rally around that word here. It simply means you're not perfect. What what is God's heart to you when you blow it? Does he simply revel in the fact that now he gets to punish you, that you're going to experience some pain? Is is that God's heart? Is he like, yeah, I knew you were going to screw up, and now you did, so see, I'm going to, you know, fire brimstone, whatever. Is Is that his heart? Well, of course not. The heart of God, when we blow it, when we make mistakes, is to restore. So God doesn't bring discipline to his kids for the purpose of bringing pain to their life. He doesn't bring discipline to his kids for the purpose of making their life miserable or to shame them or to cause them to walk in guilt or feel beat up. That is not God's heart towards discipline at all because his heart is to have a relationship. So when God has to bring discipline to his kids, and he has to do that from time to time, His heart is to restore the relationship. So here's what that means for me then as a parent. If I'm rallying around God's heart for my kids, when I have to discipline my kids, my goal is restoration. Restoration of the relationship. Restoration of a healthy conversation. Restoration of, you know, my influence in their life and their transparency back to me are doing life together. It's not simply for pain. And this gets easier for me when I realize that all I'm trying to do is do what my heavenly father has done for me. Because in the moment, I get frustrated. I get angry. 
When I get angry, my lips get loose. I'm just going to be honest with you. When my temperature rises, when my blood pressure rises, I start talking. You know anybody like that? Right? That's what I do. Some people, they're, they're, they get quiet, right? We know in our house when mom gets quiet, go to another room. That's what we know. All right? It's about to go down. All right? Not me. I start talking. And the more I talk, often it doesn't, it doesn't cause my blood pressure to drop or my anger to, to quotient to drop. Actually, the more I talk, the more I talk myself into being angry. It's, it's amazing how that works, right? So what I have to do is I have to constantly remind myself when I get frustrated at our unamazing family dynamic that here's the whole point of this conversation anyway. It is to restore, not to put dividing lines. It's not to harp on problems so much as it is to bring and invite my child and our family into a solution. And that changes then the tone of my discipline. It changes how I interact with my kids. And where am I getting that idea? Well, I get it from a few good parents who I've seen do it very well. But I get it from the heart of our Heavenly Father, who ultimately sets the example of what we're supposed to do. You know, when I blow it, here's God's heart for me. God says to to me, he says, not... You're a screw-up, Ben. Let's be honest. I've been a screw-up. Not that long ago, right? I mean, like yesterday. I've been a screw-up. But that's not God's heart for me. Here's what God's heart for me is. It's, oh, no. Oh, no, Ben. You've crossed a line. You've said something you're going to regret. You've behaved in a way that isn't what you ultimately want to do. And God's heart for me is, oh, no. I know where this is going to go if you keep going down this road. He's brokenhearted for me. He's not simply angry at me. It breaks his heart because he has the foresight and the wisdom to see where my behavior as it is is going to take me if I don't rein it in and curtail it. So his heart isn't, oh, yay, it's party time. I get to be God. You're the peon. It's, oh, no. You need to understand a few things. We've got to have a conversation we got to change some things. i got to help you do right because ultimately it's best for you. I forget this in my parenting sometimes. And I forget then to rally around God's heart for my kids and instead sometimes parent out of convenience or out of frustration. But when I'm doing it really well, and I do it really well occasionally, when I'm doing it really well, I remember that all of my engagement for my kids, really, whether it's discipline or fun, is I'm trying to protect and keep open a robust and vibrant relationship. Because more important than having a f- perfect family or having an amazing kid is we need to have a relationship. We need to have a relationship that is solid and strong and open and transparent where there's lots of conversation where our unamazing moments can be talked through. And again, we get this from watching how our Heavenly Father engages us. That's one of the reasons why he likes to be called Father. And it's one of the reasons why he specifically speaks in this passage is to dads and says, dads, your your responsibility is pretty high because as you teach and train your kids in in the instruction of the Lord, what you're really doing them is you're helping them understand the kind of commitment you have for them even when they act in ways that would make them naturally think you're not going to be nice to them or have a good heart towards them or love them. I mean, they know that their choices have consequences and they know they frustrated you, but how you respond in those moments is going to teach them everything about your heart for them. And it's also, dads, whether you meant to or not, teaching them everything about their heavenly father's heart for them. And so Paul is linking the two together, saying that what you do in this earthly dynamic of parenting is going to have a big impact on your kid here and now, but it's also going to have an impact on how they think about God later. 
Because it's very difficult to think about this man upstairs who loves you no matter what, who only means the best for you. Even when he gives a rule for you, it's for your good. It's hard to think about him in the most pleasant ways when you can't see him and talk to him. So kids tend to look at God through the lenses of their dads. And it makes it kind of hard sometimes when our dads have been unamazing. It makes it hard, in, in my case, when my kids hear me sometimes say things that I'm unable to fully live up to every moment of every day. Maybe you've been there too. So one big do then is instead of rallying around whatever else you might rally around, rally around the heart of God for your kids. Here's another thing, just kind of random fashion. Start with more strict rules with the goal of no rules at all. Let's think about rules in families for a minute. Why do you have rules? Because your wisdom as a parent says to your kids, I know things you don't know. There are consequences you won't anticipate. So I'm going to apply a few rules now. And if you follow the rules, you're going to get the benefit of the wisdom, even if you don't understand the wisdom. That's why we have rules. So we have a rule like, you know, don't play in the street. Streets are fun places to play. They're great places to ride your bike. It's much easier in the street than in the yard. But we don't play in the street, at least until we get some wisdom and knowledge and some training, because kids may not understand. So we just have a a rule. Don't play in the streets. No, why, why, why even talk about rules at all? Again, let's go back to our Heavenly Father. Why does God give us rules? Because he has wisdom and foresight and knowledge that sometimes we're not fully grabbing hold of in the moment. And rather than make us understand all the wisdom and choose to do right, there are some things God has said, I want to explain to you how life works. And if you go and do these things, it's going to bring you pain. And if you go and do these things, it's going to bring you joy. And so God gives us some joy-producing and pain-producing understanding in hopes that we'll choose joy and avoid pain. Why? Because he wants to rob us of something? No, he loves us. Well, when kids are young, here's a really cool thing. Your authority, your voice is a little stronger and easier to elevate within the family dynamic. As your kids get older, they get their own personality, they have their own opinions, it gets a little harder. So when you start when they're young with more rules, you can actually relax rules over time. I remember saying to my daughter once, you know, my goal is by the time you're done with high school, you don't have any rules. Her eyes lit up. Really? I don't know all that she was thinking. I think she was thinking somehow she's going to be in my car, spending my money, doing whatever she wanted. And that's fine. That's fine. You know, because in middle school, I don't care if she understands it all. But, but the second part of that conversation was, is, but for us to get there, here and now, you're going to have a few extra rules. Now, what I'm doing here is I'm just trying to ex- start with the end in mind. The end in mind is I don't want to parent you for the rest of your life in the way that I'm parenting you right now. And to do that... We're going to have some rules on the front end, but by the back end, you're going to be making your own choices, having incredible freedom. But for us to get from where we are to there, here's the big so what. I'm going to need to see you demonstrate some responsibility over time. Now, they don't understand this when they're four, but by the time they're in middle school, they're wanting some freedom, some incredible freedom. And by the time they're in ninth, tenth grade, they want a lot of, and, and certainly by the time they're driving. Well, how do you know how much to give them? Well, And again, I know a lot of us are past this season, but there's some principles here. You start with restriction and you bring freedom over time as a child begins to demonstrate some responsibility. And then when they break that cycle of demonstrating responsibility, we engage that conversation about freedom. Remember, the goal here is I want you to not have any rules. 
But here we are, and we need to talk about this. So it's much easier to start with rules and then relax them. It's very difficult to have no rules and then try to bring them into play. But sometimes you got to do that. That's much harder. So begin with the end in mind. And when it comes to rules and expectations for kids, as they get older, that list shrinks. And when they're young, there's a lot of it. I mean, when they're very young, you're telling them what to eat, largely when to go to the bathroom, or at least helping them understand what to do when they need to go. And there's just a lot of control. But as they get older, it turns more and more into influence. So a couple of things we can proactively do to walk in the kind of the shadow of our Heavenly Father is rally around God's heart for kids, start with more strict rules, and over time, have a goal of maybe no rules, right, or very little rules. Here's, here's another thing we can do to model what our Heavenly Father has done for us. We can go overboard in praising the developing character of our kids. Now, our culture is always going to praise their achievements. In fact, I praise my kids' achievements. Great job. You got an A. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Good job cutting the yard. You know, my, we, we got a new weed eater the other day. My son, you just did a great. But praising achievement is normal. In fact, that's what we all expect. But that's not the only way that God engages us. Achievement's important. But God engages us in a different way. God tends to talk a lot about what's going on in here. And God tends to call out the developmental character kinds of traits, things like integrity and honesty and how you treat people when they're angry or when you're angry at them or, or they've disappointed you. Now, in our family, this is, this is as difficult as in yours, but we're parenting very, very well when we don't just call out achievement, but we start calling out those character development that we see, those character developing traits that we see in our kids. Things like, hey, you know what? You could have lied to me but you told me the truth. That's very important, or very often, the way it goes. All right, you lied when we started, but you quickly got to the truth. And that's just very important because, you know, without truth, we really can't have closeness in our relationship because I won't be able to trust you. So it's just very important, no matter what you do for us to... And so what I'm doing is I'm calling out those character traits. This is not just discipline and rules and structure. This is about calling out that internal stuff. When my kids demonstrate a heart to serve, when I hear them, and it does happen occasionally, and they apologize without me going, apologize to your brother. Or when I do that, and they actually apologize like they mean it, as opposed to, you've seen the other one, I am sorry. You know, you know what I mean? And you know they're not, but by goodness, you're going to make them say it anyway, because it's good for them, right? right? And so you call those good things out. Here's what, here's what you're doing when you're doing that. You're doing exactly what your heavenly father does for you. When he says the world will always measure you by your accomplishment, and that's important. It's not not important. This is a both and, not an either or. But there's something more important than just what you're good at. It's who you're becoming. And I'm going to call that out in you. It's amazing how you can see a middle schooler or a high school kid's eyes light up. A 20-something, a 45-year-old man's eyes light up when you say to them, I saw you do this thing, and that's very important. And other people may not value it, but I want you to know when you act that way, you're right on point. And I couldn't be more proud of you. These are things we can proactively do to demonstrate the heart of God. Here's something else. Just kind of random, but again, but love your spouse in visible and consistent ways. I know that not everybody in the room who's a parent has a spouse with them. And, and I've prayed for you guys all week long. You know, a single mom, a single dad, that's just a hard road. And, and, and there's a lot we could pause and talk about there. And how that you and Jesus make an incredible partnership, even if there isn't a spouse there to carry the load. And one of the things I love most about this church is our heart for single parents. And 
I, I just love that. But if you're married, all right, so you know that right now. If you're married, one of the best gifts you can give your child as a parent is to love his mom or his dad in visible and consistent ways. I don't mean perfect. This is not the goal. But they need to understand as they watch the marriage happen that mom doesn't have to be perfect for dad to love her deeply and to treat her with honor and respect. And dad doesn't always have to be in a good mood to get respect and honor from mom. Because at the end of the day, what's happening here is two imperfect people are coming together and they're t- together they're being more than they would be by themselves. In fact, together they're being shaped and molded more into the image of God. And kids can watch this dynamic with parents and it becomes very tangible then that they can believe that you can love them that way. And that kind of love over time builds trust. And where there's trust, there's transparency and conversation and the unamazing moments, as difficult as they are when there's trust, unamazing moments are easier. They're never easy, but they're easier when there's trust. And that happens in a family. It begins with the primary relationship. So let me just say this with clarity. Moms, dads, the primary relationship in your home is not the one you have to your kids. It's first of all up to God and then secondly across to your spouse. And you're not doing your kids any favors when you prioritize them above your spouse. And I know when they're young, that's very hard. It's very hard. But the best gift you give your kids is a vibrant, imperfect, but alive, loving relationship between a husband and wife. These are some things we can do. Let's talk about some things we probably want to avoid, all right? Some things we don't want to do. Again, I'm drawing some from my experience, some of my teaching, some from the scripture, but some really, really wise parents. Here's one thing you don't want to do. You don't want to have the talk. You know the talk. You actually want to begin a conversation. You, You know the talk I'm talking about, right? You don't want to have the talk. What you want to do is you want to have several talks over time. When my dad kind of had the talk with me, when he got done, I was pretty sure I knew more than he did. So when he said, are there any questions, I wanted to fire back. Any questions, Dad? No, really what I wanted to do was, yes, how quickly can we get out of this conversation? So here's the thing. Some of you in the room, your parents never engaged you really about this stuff. And so you learn like most people do. You know, through your friends, through locker room conversations, now online. But this can be a powerful part of your parenting where you can demonstrate the heart of God to your kids. God made their bodies. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. At 10 years old, I've explained to my boys each time when they they turned right at 10 years old, kind of physical, chemical changes that were going to happen in their bodies and things they could expect, even if maybe it hadn't already happened yet. Dr. James Dobson, who's an incredibly conservative Christian, says, by the time they're in fifth grade, if you haven't had the conversation with them, you're already behind because they already know more than you think they do. And so I'm encouraging you here to not just make it a one-time event, but begin conversations because this thing is complex and it's deeply important. It's certainly not the most important thing in our spirituality, but I don't know of another subject that can trip up a kid and I don't know of another subject in our culture that is more rife with problems than the area of sexuality. So I'm encouraging you here to not have the talk, but to begin a conversation. And they will be awkward. Sometimes when I was serving as a chaplain teacher at this school, some kid, some guy, some girl would come talk to me and they would tell me this horrific story and it would break my heart and we'd you know, hold hands and pray and 
Just ask God to be in the middle of that. And then I would go home and I'd set my kids around the table. They had no idea where this was coming from. And I would say, don't you ever. Um, and, you know, they could kind of see it on my face. Dad's really ramped up. Somebody must have said something today, right? And, and I wish it only happened. I sometimes here in school, here in our church, rather, I'd never share the names or anything. But sometimes like, I set my kids down and I'd say, let me tell you the cost of walking outside of the rules that God has provided for us. Because right now, you may not feel that, but over time, here's, what I, here's what's going to happen. Then I can share with them kind of a practical thing that's happened. So it's not about having the talk. It's about having some conversations because what's going on here is very important. Let me tell you about the most awkward conversation about sex that we ever had in our home. It was when Jill and I had to sit together and decide, what do we want for our kids when it comes to having the talk with them? I mean, we had already shared a lot of intimacy. We already had kids and she knows my, you know, my, my, my weaknesses, my dreams. I mean, she knows me. But sitting down and saying, what are we going to tell our kids and trying to get on the same page? That was incredibly awkward. And what words are we going to use around our house? Why, that's just awkward. You know, because I, I didn't want it to sound like a hospital. I also didn't want it to sound like the locker room. I don't know what you do with all, but these are things you got to talk about. And so if you wait too long or you make it a one shot, then you can't address. And so I wanted to give my kids the idea that we're beginning a conversation at 10. Dad went all the way there with you, but we're going to have moments of these along the way. Because I don't want my kids to have shame about their bodies because they're fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't want them to think that sex and joy in sex is relegated to the world because ultimately sex was the idea of our heavenly father and it's part of his good gift to us. And he loves us so much that he gave us a gift wrapped appropriately so that it is protected and secure until it's time. In fact, God gave us a whole book of the Bible that deals with this sort of thing. Those are conversations I needed to have with my 10-year-old, but not just my 10-year-old, my 12 and 14 and 20-year-old. I remember sitting my daughter down after she began driving and saying, look, this is the kind of stuff that I hear happens in cars on occasion. I just want you to know it. And she's just like, oh, I just can't make eye contact, and I'm like, oh, God, I can't make eye contact, so we're both looking at the counter, and I'm kind of talking at her, and, you know, it's just, it's just awkward, but here's the thing. Why do you step into the awkward? Because that's what our Heavenly Father did, and again, Philippians, he takes off his royal robes, puts on human flesh, he condescends so he can engage us, and he steps into the mess with us. Here's some phrases around sexuality just for you to think about. I don't want my kids, when it comes to sexuality or anything, to be mastered by anything. Do not be mastered by anything. What I, what I mean by that is, is nothing should control you. You should have control over your life and over the environment you're in. So when people pressure you or if they're addictive or habit-forming things, you want to be careful. Now, just so you know, I didn't make that up. That's right from the pages of the Bible. Lots of things are permissible, but don't be mastered by anything. That's just the Apostle Paul talking. And I want my kids to understand when it comes to sexuality, it would be really easy to be mastered by a few things. But instead, take control. And that will make this gift better for you. The idea of honoring God with your body. Just, you know, that there's a time and a place. And there's a difference between what is private and what's wrong. Wrong is wrong and private is private. They're not the same thing. And part of that is learning to honor God with your body. Don't sexualize a relationship too soon. You know, friendship should last a good long while, but the moment you start flirting in a sexual way, it's hard to pull that back. And I'm trying to teach this to my 15 and 16-year-old because they have a tool in their hands called a phone 
that they can cross lines, I'll never know. So I've got to get these principles in them deeply. But here's the big one. Connor, what story do you want to tell? There's going to come a day, son, when you're going to sit across from a table and you're pretty sure she's the one and you want to be married. And here's what will be on your mind because it's been on the mind of every married person that's ever gotten married. I wonder what they've done before they met me. And it's an okay question to ask. It'll be awkward. I don't know if you should ask it out loud or not. We can talk about that when we get there. But everybody wonders, I wonder what that person did before me. And they care deeply what the answer to that question is. But then I turn it. So I look at him and I say, so son, what do you want your story to be? As you're sitting across from the table from some woman who is thinking about you, I wonder what his history has been. So what do you want? What do you want your story to be when you have finally met the one? I think I know what you might want your story to be in the moment now. I get it. But what do you want your story to be when you're sitting face to face with the person and you're thinking, I really want to ask this woman to marry me? And I'm not saying those things to beat him up. But as a parent, I'm trying to get him to understand the reason God gave us these rules anyway. Why he was crystal clear that in his Big Ten, adultery should be avoided. Right? And in my church, we believed that seriously. We took it hardcore when I was growing up. We never had a church dance because we believed that dancing could lead to adultery. In fact, here's the way we said it. We never would commit adultery because we were concerned that adultery might lead to dancing. That's really the way we talked about it in my church. But either way, we kind of elevated these rules, maybe over-elevated them. But at the end of the day, nobody walked away wondering what was God saying Even if we missed his heart, we have an opportunity as parents to bring the heart of God on the matter. Son, daughter, what do you want your story to be? Because guess who's responsible for your story? You are. You're responsible for your story. So, first of all, don't have the talk. Start conversations over time. Number two, don't let your kids keep their phones or their computers in the room. It's going straight for practical here. It's hard to keep up with technology. In fact, as a way of getting us ready for this point, turn your eyes to the screen, watch this video. What do you say? Thanks. I think Daddy has another gift for you. You'll see. Whoa, no way! Finally! Honey, really? I thought we were gonna wait until next year. I think he's ready. Oh, it's the new one. You are gonna love that big guy. Besides, he's the only kid in this class without one. Ma, Ma, it's the new one. Oh, Ma. Dad, can I use it right now? Son, you can use that whenever you want. Thanks, Dad. I love you, kiddo. Go have fun with your phone. That concerns me as a parent, not because I'm anti-sex, but because I've had to deal on the other side of this equation with people. And I have some experience with myself where I've had to deal with the damage that comes from stepping outside of God's boundary. So in our culture today, parents, here's the deal. Technology is a profound tool for good, but it also has the capacity to bring a lot of pain into people's lives, people you care about, your children. So here's just something practical. 
with my son, I can either, here's a couple of ways we can play this, and my daughter, I can either say, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an accountability partner, and we're going to talk about your struggles. We're going to engage your difficulties, and when you fail, I'm going to be there. We're going to talk about it. Accountability, accountability, accountability. That's kind of on the back end. Or I can do something very proactive. I can make transparency a gift in our home when it comes to technology. So for instance, instead of my kids taking their phones up to their rooms or in a private place, about eight o'clock at night at our house, phones have a resting place. Right next to the toaster, there's a charging station and phones don't go upstairs, period. And if they do, there are consequences because I don't wanna put my kids in a place where they have to make decisions in the moment that may cost them for forever. Now, over time, more freedom comes, but I'm talking about especially when they get, and and, and parents, you're never going to keep up with the technology and the availability of access. I mean, they're going to outsmart you, outthink you on this stuff. I mean, you you only have to go to YouTube to see just how how, um, pervasive and accessible the content that you really don't want your kids looking at is. And so you can help them by doing something like not letting them take their phones upstairs, or if they have a computer, it's not in their bedroom. In our house, every computer faces the inside of the room. Why do I do that? Well, because I don't trust human nature fully. I don't trust myself fully. We know the passwords for every electronic device that my kids have access to. And it's not unusual for me to say, hey, let me look at your phone. No, the first time was awkward, but that's normal now. It's normal now in our home. Because I don't want to put my young son, my daughter in a place to have to manage this all by themselves. And I don't want to just deal with it on the back end. And so you have the ability, parents, because you have authority, you have money, or you can just give them the gift of the phone. And that little video kind of is pretty accurate. It's a direct access to whatever it is they want to see. They can Google the most innocent thing in the world, and they're just two clicks away. It's an awful lot of power. A lot of your men are as old as me in the room, and you know that back in the day, you had to go to 7-Eleven, and all the good stuff was on the top shelf. It's not true anymore. All the good stuff is right, bad stuff. You get it? Can you track with me there? It's right there in the phone, right there in the computer. Is it, is it something that we have to be afraid of? No, but you have to engage it. And so one of the things I'm asking you not to do is I'm asking you to not let them have access to technology unfiltered or in a private way. There's nothing that should be happening on that computer that they should not be willing to let their mom or dad look over their shoulder. That's just healthy for them and healthy for you. But can I be 100% transparent with you? Some of you in the room, you need this for you. You need this for you. I get very concerned when a, a husband gets a text and they grab the phone and they're all like, you know, I get it. Sometimes business stuff's happening, but way too many people have carried on inappropriate stuff through texting and private messaging and now Instagram and Snapchat. And I've, that's as far as I, I can't keep up anymore. So your best bet is not accountability or just pray for me, pastor, or one more confession to your small group. Your best bet is transparency. Turn the screen around, give your wife full access to your phone, expect that in your family, model it for your kids, and you'll be way ahead of the game, way ahead of the game. Let me give you a third don't, all right? Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Your kids are going to be unamazing on occasion. They are. I remember sitting around the table with my 
kids the other day, and we, we were chatting about, about four weeks ago, and, and they got up, and Jill and I engaged, and I couldn't wait to get her alone, and I said, can you believe they said that? They were talking about something their friend did. I can't believe they told us that. I would have never said that to my mom. Jill's like, I'd have never said that to my mom. I'd have watched my mouth. I was sober. You know, you know, and, and so our kids are just kind of talking about it. Here's the thing. So we could freak out, and guess what kids hear then? Oh, we can't talk about this. This is, and let me tell you something, parents. When your kids often are telling you stories about their friends, here's what they're really doing. They're testing you. They're testing you. Because often the stories about their friends, they maybe knew about it, possibly participated, and maybe it's really them. That's just a little armchair psychology. And so when they're telling you stories about their friends, if you freak out all the time, they know we can't go there. So one of the things you're supposed to do is remember the heart of your heavenly father. His goal is not punishment, shame, guilt. He doesn't like rules for rules' sake. The heart of our Heavenly Father is is keep the relationship open, keep the conversation going, don't freak out. Now, here's the way I apply this. I go in the other room and I freak out with Jill. Oh my gosh. Do not let them play with that person again. You know, that kind of stuff. I'm freaking out all the time. And she's always like, calm down, it's fine. It's all good. So you can freak out. You just can't freak out in the moment. This, is, this goes a long way because, again, what you want is to think about how God treats you. What you want to do is set the tone in the moment when you would like to freak out. So set the tone. The tone's going to be, I'm listening. Let me, let me, if you're ever talking to me and you see me do this, hmm, that's interesting. Let me just tell you what I'm doing on the inside. Oh, my gosh, I cannot believe. I mean, I'm freaking out, but I just learned to, you know, hmm, yes, tell me more about that. I'm freaking out often, right? So I just learned with my kids, just going, hmm, tell me a little bit more about that. Because all I'm trying to do is set the tone in the moment. I can get my wits about me a little bit later and re-engage. You don't have to do everything in the right now. Tomorrow's coming. Believe it or not, tomorrow's going to come. And you can deal with some of this stuff tomorrow. I'm incredibly verbal in the moment when I'm ramped. I'm not often very wise in the moment when I'm ramped. So don't freak out. And that brings me to my last don't. There's something to think about here, especially as it relates to unamazing moments, is that you have the opportunity, I have the opportunity to delay punishment and think about it as opposed to just slapping the punishment on it in the moment. So remember what I said the heart of God is to you when you make a mistake? It's, oh no, oh no. I'm gonna have to step in with you in this and help you here. And my heart breaks for the pain that you have, going to bring on yourself, even if you don't understand it, I'm just like, we, we have, oh no, not, uh-huh, whew, gotcha, I've been kind of waiting to throw lightning bolts, I haven't thrown enough today, you screwed up, here we go, that's not God's heart, so as a parent, what I have to do is when my kids are unamazing in that moment, I have to remember that my attitude towards them needs to more resemble God's than my natural reaction of frustration, oh no, we're going to have to talk about that. We're going to have to process this a little bit. I'm going to have to talk with you about this. Thank you for telling me. Or often it's like they didn't tell me and I just found out. It's like, oh, no, we're going to have to have a conversation. And the attitude of I'm going to step into the mess with you as opposed to just beat you down. And I know that's no parent's heart here, but that's the way it comes across sometimes. That makes the difference. And remember, you don't have to give them all of the consequences at once. In fact, There's a little sadistic joy in making them realize you're sleeping on it. What are you going to do, Dad? I'm going to have to think about this. 
it just, I feel like you win just a little bit of a parent if you just do that a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's wrong. But, but you can actually say, look, we're, I'm going to think about this because I'm going to tell you, uh, and I, I've shared this before, but I remember standing there with one of my kids and saying, I don't have to feed you food you like. From this point forward, it's only food you hate. And I remember, and like, like, I'm, 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 I'm hearing myself, and I remember saying, and you don't have a bedroom anymore. Your bedroom is in the corner of the dining room. Get a pillow, get a pillow. I'm like, who's talking? Why don't I shut up? I can't, I can't even enforce this, and I'm talking. Right? Have you ever watched parents? Like, like I'm going to count to three. One, two. And they're not going to go to three because they're not going to do anything when they do. And they, two and a half. Well, you don't have to bring the punishment right away. You can actually say, look, we're going to mark this moment. We've crossed the line. We're going to talk. And then you can think about it, pray about it, call a wise parent, talk to your small group, and say, we're going to come. And then you can engage a punishment that's more fitting for the purpose of restoration, not pain. Now, sometimes restoration involves pain, right? But the purpose is the restoration. When I parent in the moment, too often I'm just talking out of frustration. Just again, one more time, you know, really what you need to do, what I do, is I try to remember the heart of God to me when I blow it. That's the best advice I can give you. Parents, if you want to do, you know what to do with your adult kids, with your young kids, your middle school, high school, toddlers, here it is. Try to remember the heart of God who is our Heavenly Father and let that impact the way you parent. Now, with that said, why don't you grab out your Connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I've been talking a lot about what it is to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, but it's possible in this room today you don't have that. Here's the good news. He's paved a way for you to have a relationship with him. He sent his son, Jesus, to give his life on a cross. And Jesus died for our sins. His blood covers that. And then he was resurrected from the tomb. So he's alive today as proof that God has accepted that offer that Jesus made so you and I could have a relationship with God. The Bible says if we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can have a relationship with our heavenly father, even if we've been unamazing. So if you've never done that, I ask you to take your pen and right there on your seat was that connect card you filled out earlier. Check next step A. Today I'm making Jesus my savior and Lord. That's just the biblical way of saying, today I'm asking Jesus to be my forgiver and my leader. When our offering buckets come by at the end of the service, put your card in there. We'll communicate with you. But in a moment, I'm gonna pray and you can talk to God. And maybe you say something like this, God, I want you to be my heavenly father. I want a relationship with you. I ask you to cover my sin by the work of Jesus. I'm gonna let you lead my life. Or maybe today, next step B, you're gonna choose to be baptized. So we're gonna baptize a couple folks in a moment. And uh, perhaps you've made your decision to follow Jesus. You're in high school or you're an adult. Right, so this is for high schoolers or adults. And you would like to be baptized, but you haven't ever done anything about it before. So when the band begins to sing, what you can do is you can literally get up from your seat and come right up here. Pastor Andy will be standing by this door under this screen and you can answer a few questions like, have you committed your life to Jesus? Do you want to be baptized? That's about as far as the interrogation goes. And then you can be baptized on the spot, even if you're just not thinking about it because we have clothes and towels and um, you know, hair brushes, hair dryers, all that stuff for you if you'd like to get baptized today or check the box and we'll communicate with you. But don't let this moment pass. All right, here's next step C. Who would say this? I just want to go straight at a very practical thing. We're going to bring technology in our home out into the open this week. Turn the screens around, share the password, put it away at night, you know, just help your kids win here. Don't expect immature, not yet adult people to make adult choices. 
next update. Who would say, as a parent, like, I'm gonna own the quality and frequency of the conversations with my child. Quality, that is, we're gonna turn up the heat a little bit, and frequency, we're gonna do a little bit more often. And as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, as an aunt, uncle, I'm gonna own this kid that I have a deep love and concern for. I'm gonna own those conversations, and I'm gonna press in. Check that box, we'll pray with you about that this week. And then here's next step E. Next week at the end of the service, we have an opportunity called Next, and it's happening right over here to my right at a place called Pump It Up. And after service, if you're relatively new around here and you want to know more about the church, you can check this box. We'll be in touch with you, and you can get up from this service and go right next door with your kids to Pump It Up. They'll have a good time. We'll answer your questions about the church, tell you a little bit about us, all right? So check the box, put the offering bucket in uh, when it comes by, and uh, that's how we'll communicate with each other. All right, let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have demonstrated for us a perfect love. And God, we don't have to be bound by fear. We don't have to be stuck. We don't even have to be perfect. You just love us. And you constantly reach out in a relationship with us. God, I pray for every mom and dad in the room, every grandma, every aunt, every uncle, every grandfather. That God, we would look to your heart to know how to respond to the young people you put in our life, the kids, even our adult children, that we would let our actions, our motivations flow from yours. God, when we're unamazing, thank you for being amazing. Father, I pray for those right now that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins, lead my life, I'll follow you. Father, I pray that you will continue to enable this church to partner with parents in the good work you're doing in their kids. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen.